Hey everyone, welcome back to Misaligned. Today we are going to be talking about our book club pick, which is Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Before we get to that, we have a few things to cover. Misaligned is part of the Modern Vinyl family of podcasts. You can find all of the shows over at modern-vinyl.com. And, you know, Chris has done a really great job of growing the podcast family over at Modern Vinyl because, you know, to start, it was just the Modern Vinyl podcast. And then we started this one. And it's really become more than just music based too because with pilot study they're covering the pilot episodes of tv shows and while you might talk music in those sometimes it's just a nice little break from the music talk on the site and reading all the articles and stuff so check that out if you haven't i know all of not all of you maybe but a lot of you are into tv shows so there's probably at least a few episodes that you would enjoy of that but right now, Megan has a very important announcement to give you guys. Today's show is brought to you by Vinyl Me Please. And you can join the Record of the Month Club at www.joinvmp.com slash misaligned. If you're not familiar with Vinyl Me Please, this month their monthly record is the first American pressing of the Gorillas' Demon Days. And hopefully later this week, I will be going to a listening party that Final Me Please puts on for this album, which should be very, very fun. Nice. Well, on that note, we will start our discussion on Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. And you guys will get more information on Final Me Please later. So don't worry if, you know, that wasn't enough for you. But Megan... We decided to go a fiction route this time, and I think it was definitely a nice choice because it was sort of a break from the nonfiction books, which while we've enjoyed the books we've read, sometimes, you know, if you read a ton of nonfiction in a row, it's just like, okay, I need a break and I need something that's like a little easier to digest. So this was definitely a good pick. And Unfortunately, I'm sorry I did not get to watching the movie. Things got a little hectic and I was like, oh, well, didn't do that. <laughs> it's all good. I mean, the book is still, it, I'd have to say that the book is pretty true to the movie. The movie is pretty true to the book. Right. So it's not like you're really missing out on a lot. But at the same time, sometimes it is nice to take a break and watch a movie instead of straight up reading a book. Yeah. And I'm sure the dialogue is probably not exactly the same as the book, simply because of how you have to rate movies. <laughs> this is true. But I'm sure the whole, you know, what the whole of what happens is the same. And I have, you know, seen bits and pieces of the movie here and there, whether it's just from commercials or a trailer or something like that. So I definitely knew about this book and this movie. It was just one of those things I never got around to because as you know, and as I'm sure the listeners well know, my list of things to watch and read and do is just like never ending. So I can't always get to everything, even if I really want to. And this is why we need to live in the world of Harry Potter, where they've got the time turner. I believe that's what it's called. I'm probably going to have... Um... Harry Potter fans after me for butchering <laughs> that but the thing that Hermione uses to actually manage her time and be able to get everything done that she needs to we just all need to be Hermione so you know that would work out great for all of us and see now I've got Potter puppet pals stuck in my head with mysterious ticking noise <laughs> which I can't believe is 10 years old this year 
just like, what? What is this? Anyway, uh, our book this month, yes, is Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. And like Deanna mentioned, there's also a movie. Some of you might be more familiar with the movie over the book, and that's okay. In fact, my edition of the book features stills from the movie, which is really nice. Um, this book came out in... Oh, I don't know. Why don't I just flip to the thing right here? In 2006, and the movie came out in 2008. Interestingly enough, I didn't actually watch the movie until my freshman year of college, which was in 2009. But this is a book I have had since at least 2008, and it got passed around a lot with my high school friends. It's you know, my copy is very worn, and I'm sure if I bend it anymore, it'll probably start ripping. But <laughs> my friends loved my book picks in high school, and this was one that we could all talk about no matter what we listened to. And that's the beauty of this book. It does actually appeal to everyone, despite the fact that the movie has a soundtrack that's more indie-focused. So... I actually want to start out by talking about the fact that, A, the first page is a map, which is cool. Right. Because, you know, it's important. New York is a large area, and it kind of does touch upon a lot of the areas that are mentioned in the book. And for those of you who are just tuning in, you know, not dealing with friendly banter, it is a young adult novel. So when I say it's one that definitely my high school friends loved, I mean it. It is geared more towards the high school, maybe late middle school crowd, and not maybe a bunch of 20-something-year-olds. But despite that, it is a good read. And, excuse me there, it opens with the Acknowledgements playlist. As a nerd, I love the fact that the Acknowledgements at the beginning of a book are so varied. They can be a simple thank you. They can be weirdly elegant, like lemony snickets, or they can straight up be a playlist. So what Rachel Cohn and David Levithan have done is made a 16-song playlist. And in these songs, they thank various people with them. So we've got Tina Turner's The Best, Ray Charles's You Are My Sunshine, Lucinda Williams is Too Cool to Be Forgotten, Bell and Sebastian's Wrapped Up in Books, the Prince version of Nothing Compares to You, Elvis Costello's Allison, The Cure's Pictures of You, Louis Armstrong's A Kiss to Build a Dream On, The Beatles with Paperback Writer, which I like how the thank you is for our dear author friends, <laughs> Julie Andrews and The Sound of Music for our loving families, Rufus with Shaka Khan, you Got the Love, Kylie Minogue's Can't Get You Out of My Head, Jen's, Lenk Jen's Lechman's You Are the Light, by which I travel into this and that, Kelly Clarkson's Miss Independent, Q and Not You with Wonderful People, and The Magnetic Fields with How Fucking Romantic. Yeah, so it's like, you know, they're sort of not necessarily giving away the music that actually 
is mentioned in the book and everything, but they're sort of giving you a glimpse at what to expect. You know, when you have Kelly Clarkson's Miss Independent, you know, Nora is sort of wanting to be that very independent person and be like, you know, I don't need anyone. And I think how those acknowledgements tie in is sort of, I wouldn't say on the nose or anything like that. It's a little more subtle, but you can still sort of pull out those themes from those songs here and there in the book. This is true. And I'm actually kind of wishing that some of those songs had made it onto the official movie soundtrack. But the movie soundtrack actually features um, some pretty well-known artists within the indie sphere. Mark Mothersbaugh of Rugrats fame and many other Nickelodeon shows did the theme song. And in the movie, you can't actually hear the Mothersbaugh inspiration. Like, you can tell it is one of his songs. And it's cute. And it's a cute opener for a cute little teen film. And I've said cute so many times. Please just punch me in the face. (laughs) Um, But it also features artists like The Shout Out Louds, Vampire Weekend, My Thing Just Kind of Froze. That's fun. Um, We Are Scientists, The Submarines, Bishop Allen, and Devondra Banhart. So the playlist soundtrack is much, much different than the thank you playlist that's actually featured in the book. And... What's really cool is it fosters, having a thank you playlist fosters the playlist idea. Um, The premise of this book focuses on two characters, Nick and Nora. Nick, who is going through a reeling breakup with some chick named Triss, who wasn't really good to him, he made all of these playlists for Nora, or not for Nora, I'm sorry. He made all of these playlists for Triss. Triss would then, you know, toss them aside and give them to Nora. Nora, on the other hand, is a friend of Triss, and she doesn't really like her. It's just how things go. And Nora is the daughter of a music producer. So both Nick and Nora battle with exes and former flames in both the book and the movie where Nick gets confused by Nora being able to get into all these cool places and Nora dealing with her ex who just wants her dad to sign them and his band. But despite that, it's, again, cute. And in the movie, one of the most recognizable lines is, you're like my musical soulmate. And, of course, Nora doesn't realize who Nick is when she first meets him. Because he's still, you know, pining after Triss. They meet up at a club after one of his band shows. She's like, uh, can I kiss you for like a few to make this girl seem like I actually have a boyfriend? And the girl in question is Triss. I thought Nick said that to Nora, not the other way around. Oh, crap. You might be right. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait, is that how it happened? Yeah. Yeah, that is. That is. Oh, God. Maybe I should. okay. (laughs) read again for like the umpteenth time um also the running joke of the book is nick's car which has a tape player and is a yugo which gets mistaken for taxis and he's given it a name (laughs) yeah well i mean i named my car i've named all of the cars i've had so it's not that much of a weird thing um but yeah it's a nice book too that also talks a lot about inclusion 
because Nick is the straight guy of his band, whereas the rest of the members are all gay and queer. Something that, you know, is starting to be seen more in the music scene today. So making that connection. And it's great. Kind of makes me wish that there were more bands really just open about their sexuality when we were teenagers. But, you know. Yeah, and I think this book did a really great job of sort of just not putting these characters in for the sake of having them. It was more of a situation where it's like, you know, this group of kids and, you know, at this club that they end up going to later, no one cares. You know, everyone is sort of just fine with people being whoever they are, whoever they want to be and whatnot. And I think the fact that this book was 11 years ago now, give or take, Mm -hmm. just shows how sort of, I don't want to say forward thinking, because this still was sort of a conversation back then, just not maybe as much as it is today. But the authors do a great job of not making it feel forced. Right. And reading it, it's actually comforting. Like, it's easy to just see the world through Nick and Nora's eyes. And occasionally through Caroline, who is Nora's very drunk friend who she tries to take care of. (laughs) Right. Like, I like how they fleshed Caroline out in the movie from the book. Because her character is just so funny she's a riot and it's easier to actually picture this very drunken slurring girl after you've seen the movie and rereading the book um but yeah it's interesting too because it's like a journey these people are literally journeying to see a secret show of a band called where's fluffy and another thing i love about this book is the band names yeah like we've got hunter does hunter are you randy who features a singer named randy (laughs) always a fun thing and nick's band who keeps trying to change the name and like they open with this right away ah yes yes on page two we're called the fuck offs tonight but that's a new name and it'll probably only last three gigs before dev comes up with another We've already been porn yesterday, the black handkerchiefs, the vengeful hairdressers, and none of your business. I don't really use my vote except to veto Dev's stupider ideas. Dude, I had to tell him, nobody wants to see a band called Dick Ache. <laughs> so you can tell that Nick is also in a queer core band, which is why Nora straight up is like, this. so I, this random bassist in an average queercore band, turn to this girl in flannel, who I don't even know, and say, I know this is going to sound strange, but would you mind being my girlfriend for the next five minutes? To which Nora thinks that he was gay initially. I have just completely redeemed myself from my earlier flub. Yeah, and I think, you know, you mentioned Caroline, and the whole reason Nora goes along with this is to try and get her drunk friend a ride home before she does something she regrets, and the Yugo won't start. So, you know, the band members make this deal with Nora to take Nick out for the night and they'll get her friend home and everything. And for most people, that might seem like a very weird and sketchy situation. (laughs) But, you know, Nora plays along with it. And that's sort of when we really get to the thick of it in the book and really get to the story between these two people. And it's basically one night 
and you know w- however late in the morning it is when they finally you know wrap things up and head home or wherever they end up heading and it's just so entertaining to sort of see these two people fumble through this night and yet it still ends up being a great night for them even though it's had you know it's ups and downs and everything mm-hmm. and for this being a young adult book there are so many instances of the f-bomb drip being dropped that it should probably have a parental advisory label on it but that's okay yeah i was wondering that too i was like wait so who is this book actually for <laughs> yeah i mean page 95 is literally just you know Fuck her, fuck her for getting that cab, fuck her for fucking with my mind, fuck her for not knowing what she wants. I guess this episode now needs to have a parental advisory label. <laughs> I don't know if SoundCloud does those, but you know. I'm sorry. But yeah, it's it, it kind of does, at least in my friend circle, we all talked like that. So maybe that's why it was more relatable for us. But the other thing, when you mentioned the band members wanting to take care of Caroline so Nick and Nora can go out, they were tired of Nick being hung up on Triss. Right. They really, really were. And they've emphasized this. They're like, all right, basically, we just want you to take him out and give him a good time so he will shut up and stop moping. And Nora, on the other hand, has been called frigid. Caroline is essentially her best friend. And Caroline is the one that called her frigid. She says, sometimes I think she's teasing me to repeat the party line of my evil ex, so I clarify, you mean I'm not easy? She clarifies, no, bitch. I mean, you intimidate guys with a look or a comment before they can even decide if they want a chance with you. You're so judgmental along with frigid. And then after that little blip, Nomo, as she calls Nick, being the straight guy, which I think is kind of a little derogatory because if you think back to the no homo thing and how people aren't really a huge fan of saying that nowadays right there's that but then she remembers that tris called him nick and she said oh no that's him nick the hoboken boy the guy who wrote all the songs and poems about her the best goddamn boyfriend the rest of us at sacred heart never had the band boy stud tris hooked up with after meeting him on the path train at the beginning of the school year and has lied to and cheated on ever since does nick not think it's weird that he dated her that long and never once met any girls from her school so you know she still doesn't really do a full entertainment of uh introducing people after this fiasco happens so that's fun (laughs) and when nora says he was basically the best boyfriend this is essentially michael sarah to a T of that sweet awkward kid which is why i think that in the movie the casting of michael sarah as nick was the perfect casting also because i was watching super bad the other day and it just you know (laughs) it fits him to a t but i notice in your notes that you like the characterizations of nick and nora with the format giving both perspectives I think that's something we should also talk about because each chapter flips between Nora's perspective and Nick's perspective. Yeah, definitely. But before we dive into that, why don't you tell us a little more about Vinyl Me, Please? Ah, yes. So, Vinyl Me, Please, to all of our misaligned listeners, it is a Vinyl Record of the Month Club and is the best record club. I think I've seen it called the Best Damn Record Club, too. Yes. But every month, 
Vinyl Me Please features one album that is essential to the modern vinyl collection and sends it to thousands of members worldwide. You get a cool record, you get some really nice art, and a drink recipe paired with it because we all know that everyone has a classy turntable setup and just wants to drink all the time. (laughs) It's great. And that's actually why they host a lot of the spins listening parties at breweries. For example, in Charlottesville, they'll have that at Star Hill out in Crozet. So with that aside, to join, you can go to www.joinvmp.com slash misaligned. Again, that's joinvmp.com slash misaligned with two S's to join Vinyl Me Please today. Yeah, so going back to the format, I think, you know, the back and forth of it all was what made the book a really good read for me. I believe I gave it four out of five stars on Goodreads, which sounds about right because I sort of just blew right through this book because, like you said, it was aimed at young adults and that sort of thing. So the language is never really complex in those kind of books or anything like that, which we've seen, you know, with Harry Potter. I'm sure that's how the Twilight books are, but I've never read one, so I wouldn't actually know. Oh, no, the Twilight books are garbage and the writing is for like a simpleton. (laughs) Said the gal who has regretfully read every single Twilight book and just wanted to off herself afterwards. (laughs) And I think, you know, we are getting Nora's view on a situation and then you flip it over and turn to Nick and it was just really funny how different their opinions on a situation could be or their takes on a situation could be and how funny it was to see their thoughts on the different things happening throughout the night and I just think you know that is sort of better than telling it from like a third person view I guess it was just so much more personality and I know David Levithan has done this before when he wrote Will Grayson, Will Grayson with John Green. I believe they switched off chapters that they were writing. So he's sort of familiar with that. I don't know if that's necessarily what happened here. Like he wrote Nick's parts and then Rachel wrote Nora's parts. I have no clue. Do you have any idea how they went about doing that? I have no idea. Um. Oh, duh. Megan, it would be helpful if you actually read the back of the book where it talks about the authors. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> and I, I don't actually, have my ebook copy either. <laughs> I just flipped to it because I was on a chapter that I want to talk about a little bit. But <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, first of all, I should mention that Rachel and David also wrote Naomi and Ellie's No Kiss List, which I believe was also turned into a movie, and I think it features Victoria Justice in it. I'm not sure. But anyway, I think that book also follows the same format as this one. And it says at the top, Rachel Cohn and David Levithan are not Nick and Nora, though. Rachel wrote Nora's part and David wrote Nick's. Okay. So I was correct in assuming that then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Although I think it would have been interesting if David had written Nora's parts and Rachel writing Nick's parts. Because I feel like that would be a good writing experiment to hear someone think like the opposite gender and teenage versions of them (laughs) this is true but both of these authors are young adult writers so rachel's previous books include gingerbread uh shrimp 
Cupcake, and You Know Where to Find Me. The About Me page also features all the awards they've won for these books, so I'm trying to read through those. David has also written Boy Meets Boy, The Realm of Possibility, Are We There Yet?, Wide Awake, How They Met, and Other Stories. And for adults, he also wrote The Lover's Dictionary, which, if you go to Twitter, it's still an ongoing running thing. And it's great. Like, I love following it. I've read the book, and I think it does a great job of expanding from the book, which literally is a dictionary definition of words and how they relate to a relationship. Yeah, that definitely sounds interesting. And And it's a short read. Right. And like I mentioned with Will Grayson, Will Grayson, there were two Will Graysons. So he's, you know, familiar with writing not only alternating chapters, but a similar format where you're looking at something from the point of view of a different person every chapter or every other chapter, whichever way you want to put it. And I think, you know, just how they wrote each of the characters and the personality they were able to show so much better with these characters because they were writing them from their perspectives. I feel like if it had been a third person perspective, we wouldn't have seen as much of the personalities of these two characters. And I don't think it would have been nearly as effective as a story. I don't think so either. Like having that omniscient third person narrator probably would have killed this. Right. And the writing style is just so genuine and enjoyable that you do forget that you're reading a young adult book. And another thing that's interesting is that they've characterized a lot of the folks in the book as partiers, people who just love to party and drink all the time. Surprisingly, I didn't recall any mentions of drug use, right? which you sometimes see in teen novels. And usually it's just that personification of teenagers like to go out and party. But... With Nick, he is actually a straight-edge kid. As um, Dev says to him, my poor straight-edge straight boy. Yeah. And surprisingly, no one really gives Nick flack for being straight-edge. So right that's, that's a rarity in books like this. Yeah, and I think that's sort of more in line with how people are today at shows. You know, people are more open to things like being straight-edge. And I feel like, you know... When that first started becoming a thing, it was sort of hard for people to grasp and understand why someone would do that. And, you know, I've met some people who are straight edge and it's like, you know, I don't care one way or the other. We're, you know, all there to listen to the same band or same few bands or whatever. So who am I to judge someone for what they do or don't want to do? And I think this book sort of just takes that and expands on it so much because, like you said, with all of the different types of people we have in this book, it's really a statement to all of these characters that they're so open and okay with all of this. And I definitely see what you mean with like them all being partiers, but I think it's more of in this book that they just all really enjoy going out, watching bands, having fun, and they don't need alcohol or drugs or whatever to do that necessarily exactly and i think it's also more of a you know characterization of where they're at like that's the general idea of what people in new york do right and 
going off of the straight edge thing, you know, being so close to Richmond, I've become friends with folks in the straight edge scene and they're wonderful and I love them all. And my brother, when he started college, he became straight edge and here he is turning 23 next month and he's still straight edge. So I understand why he's doing it for reasons that are just too long to talk about on the podcast. But, you know, he doesn't judge people. He's not one of those super militant straight edge kids. Right. And that's one thing I do like about him. But yeah, you know, it's great. Like, it's just this nice melting pot of different characters. And in the movie, the representation is, you know, it's not just a bunch of white folks. Yeah. Which I liked. I mean, yes, Nick and Nora, the main characters, and Tris and Caroline are all white folks. But in Nick's band, you know, he's got the Asian guy. And it, oh, going back to the band names, I should mention that in the movie, Nick's band is called The Jerkoffs. Okay. So that's, that's a thing. This might turn people off of the book, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, like I was saying, in chapter 13, Nick says, life fails, songs don't always. I'm on the curb, taking it all in, including the nothing, where I am, how I am, who I am, what I'm not, and it starts to come to me. So then you see this, uh, characterization of Nick writing a song. And Nick, you know, starting to sing said song. So his bandmate, Dev, was like, dude, that's pretty kick-ass. And then Nick's like, well, wait, you're not in there for Where's Fluffy? And he's like, no, nah, I need to take a break. You think it's easy being the cutest damn underage lead singer on the queer core scene? I can't work it all the time, man. So they interject, you know, serious scenes with this little quip of humor, which is great. But then, you know, this is where they have the heart-to-heart. And... Dev says, you know what it's all about, Nick? What What's all about? It, Nick. What it's all about? No. The Beatles. So this conversation is how the Beatles got it. Like, Dev slides his hand into Nick's and intertwines their fingers. So he says this. This is why the Beatles got it. And Nick is like, I'm not following what's going on. Other bands, it's about sex, or pain, or some fantasy, but the Beatles, they knew what they were doing. You know the reason the Beatles made it so big? What? I want to hold your hand. The first single. Fucking brilliant. Perhaps the most fucking brilliant song ever written. Because they nailed it. That's what everyone wants. Not 24-7 hot, wet sex. Not a marriage that lasts 100 years. Not a Porsche, or a blowjob, or a million dollar crib. No. They want to hold your hand. And it just brings you back to this moment of not everything does have to be about sex like it tends to also be in young adult books which is kind of weird right like going back to you saying the guys wanted nick to enjoy the night they didn't want him to hook up with nora they just wanted him to genuinely go out and hold someone's hand right that wasn't tris (laughs) and you know it was a nice moment i'm not even going to read this whole thing because it's just it's worth reading yeah And then a few chapters later, chapter 15 in Nick, um, he's talking with Nora. And, you know, at a point earlier in the book, she had mentioned that she listened to all of Nick's mixes for Triss. 
He's like, you know what? I want to know the song that you liked the most on the mixes that I made, Tris. And what's interesting is it says here, she just says the noticing song. I don't know its name. Whoa. I mean, I thought she would name something from Patti Smith or Fugazi or Jeff Buckley or Where's Fluffy or even one of the VG songs I put in to be funny. I didn't think she'd choose something I wrote and sang, and it wasn't even supposed to be on that mix. <laughs> and Nick's mixes, when they weren't songs by the Beaches or Fugazi or Patti Smith, he interjected his mixes for Tris with songs that he wrote himself coming from his heart, which goes back to why everyone thought he was the best boyfriend. Right. It, it At its core, this is what a mix should be. We've seen books where people will, I guess, going back to, um, oh my gosh, Rob Sheffield. There we go. I literally just had a brain fart and couldn't remember his <laughs> name. But going back to Rob Sheffield, when he made his mixes in Love is a Mixtape, he kind of would occasionally, you know, do a personal thing between the songs. It's like a dedication. Right. Which then goes back to the intro where i said the acknowledgements is a playlist everything has personal meaning unless it's the bgs and it was just in there to be funny <laughs> but then nick gets like really happy because um she starts singing the song he wrote and yeah and you you know she has to have heard it more than once <laughs> yeah yeah because let's see here ah yes uh Nick says, one night I was just so wired from being with Tris that I had to stay up until I turned the evening into a song. I recorded it onto my computer that, oh my god, there's a typo in this book. <laughs> I, I literally have not noticed this. It's T-H-A-N, and it should be T-H-E-N. Oh, I think um, I caught that too at the time. Yeah, my god. <laughs> anyway, uh, then stuck it on as a hidden track for the mix I gave her the next day. Tris never mentioned it to me. Not once. March 18th, I say, what? That's the name of the song. I mean, it doesn't really have a name, but I can't believe you remember it. And, you know, banter, banter, banter. And Nora says, I promise I'm not a stalker or anything. I promise I've forgotten the other songs. And Nick finds himself saying it wasn't really about her. So it's one of those cutesy little things. It Honestly, this book is just one giant meat cute. Right, and... Before we wrap this up and head into recommendations, I sort of want to get your thoughts on the end of the book. Were you a little disappointed that you never really find out what happens with Nick and Nora? Or did you like that sort of ambiguous ending it had? Honestly, this book, the ending without giving anything away. Actually, I think this is where that veered a little from the movie. Because the movie doesn't even give an epilogue about what happened with Nick and Nora. Okay. But honestly, the ready, set, jump, those last three words of this book are, it, I like that ambiguity. And it kind of opens up if Rachel and David were to ever write another sequel to Nick and That was going to be my follow-up question, is if you want a sequel. <laughs> I don't know. Like, sometimes when people write sequels, it just doesn't turn out to be as great as you thought it would be right and sometimes you just want to preserve it the way it is like i've read countless young adult fiction books that should not have had sequels and like the twilight series <clears throat> and others are just you know so 
perfectly written that it just opens up the imagination. Like, sure, I like to imagine that Nick and Nora eventually get married and whatnot, but that's not really how real life goes. This book kind of, you know, as that meet cute does talk about something about how life kind of does go. And it's just about enjoying yourself in the moment, enjoying that feeling and enjoying everything around you as opposed to focusing on one person and making them into your life. Yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned if Nick and Nora got married or something like that. I don't know if we would really want to see that story either, because I'm not saying it would necessarily be mundane, but it would sort of just be like everyday life at that point. Mm-hmm. And while I'm sure, you know, Rachel and David could make it interesting, I don't know if it would ever compare to this. So I think, you know, while I would want to know what happened, I don't need to know what happened. Exactly. And sometimes you just need to read something with that ambiguity instead of just a, this is how it ends. Like last year I read um, a young adult novel by Rainbow Roval. And I think I'm saying her name right. But the way that she wrote this book was... um, Was it Eleanor and Park or whatever that one is? Okay. It was Eleanor and Park. That also has that element of ambiguity in it. And if I'm remembering this correctly, it also follows a similar format to Nick and Nora, where it's each chapter from the main character's perspectives. Right. Which is actually kind of a trend in young adult books, now that I think about it. Yeah. Well, do you have any final thoughts on this? I know I already mentioned I gave it a four out of five, and I assume your rating is probably somewhere around there as well. More like a four and a half. Like I said, it it's a cute book, and it's one that I loved in high school. I still love today at 26, and it's one I do find myself revisiting every now and then, or I guess now that the movie is on demand, uh, rewatching, but it's good. I would recommend it to people to read as like a throwaway beach book. Like if you find yourself on vacation and need something to read, yeah, sure. Be an adult and read a young adult novel. It's fine. Yeah. Well, on that note, our next book club pick is going to be Yeah, 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 The Story of Pop Music from Bill Haley to Beyonce by Bob Stanley. Now, this is kind of a large book. So, you know, good thing it's only like April 20th or so when you will be listening to this. So you can get a little bit extra time there to read this one. And I know personally, I'll probably need it too. But, you know, I picked this up in why I didn't check it out or anything, but I literally just picked it up off the shelf and sent a picture to you, Megan. And I was like, oh, what about this? And then I was like, but it's 500 something pages. I don't care. It sounds interesting. Yeah. And And you know, I'm refraining from making any sort of 420 reference right now. (laughs) And I just think, you know, pop music in general has such a long history. And I feel like we, we've we done some stuff that is geared towards pop music, but I don't think anything like this book will be. I'm just curious about the history part. Like, this is sparking my uh, history nerd side. <laughs> yeah, so... And not just because Beyonce is mentioned in it. I should mention that right away. <laughs> it just was probably so appealing to put Beyonce's name on the book cover that, you know, Bob Stanley just couldn't help himself. 
Well, as we all know, Beyonce should have been headlining at Coachella this weekend, but couldn't due to doctor's orders. So so we'll make up for it with this book. <laughs> we'll make up with that. And then I'll briefly mention how good Gaga set was because I heard it on Sirius Radio. Well, Sirius XM, whatever it's called now. Nice. So again, that's Yeah, 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 the story of pop music from Bill Haley to Beyonce by Bob Stanley. I'm sur- sure if you just search Bob Stanley, that'll be much easier because it's a little bit of a long title there. And I don't know if all of you will know who Bill Haley is, so you might forget that his name is there first. <laughs> or you might be like me right now and have the catchy British yeah, yeah, yeah is going through your head like in the style of the Beatles. Not the band, the yeah, yeah, yeah is with Karen O, but actually like that boy band, innocent little, you know what I mean? Yes. Well, Megan, do you have any recommendations this week? Yes. I forgot to put this in the doc, but go listen to Lady Gaga's new song. I brought up Coachella because she sang the new song called The Cure at Coachella. It's very good. It's a very dancey song. And on top of that, I have the new Diet Sig record, Swear I'm Good at This, which was also featured as a roundtable discussion on the most recent episode of the Modern Vinyl Podcast. Indeed it was. And yes, it's a very good album. Like, I dig it. Everyone should dig it. it. In fact, Callie, one of our writers, Callie, wrote her MV Recommends piece on that album. And continuing on with this theme of girl power, I have Charlie Bliss's album Guppy also his recommendation as of recording it is streaming on npr's first listen but that means it should be out on friday for everyone to listen on all streaming platforms or if you buy the record or the cd i saw them with sorority noise uh two years ago i believe and ended up at a cookout with them after the show They were drunk and they were fun and (laughs) loved the fact that you could get different cookout shakes. Nice. Well, I am keeping with the theme of music as well, and I'm going to recommend Super Americans Disposable. It's an EP, and I just think, you know, Take This to Heart Records has been doing a really great job with these sort of smaller bands and building them up. And a lot of the bands on this label have sort of become popular within our little scene and everything. And this is just another one of those bands and it's catchy music. So definitely check that out. And I believe it was either the last episode or episode before or a couple times now I've used one of their songs from this EP as the intro song for the podcast episode. So You've definitely heard them before if you've been listening to all of the recent episodes. So if you liked it, definitely check this out. It's been out for a little while now, probably a week and a half or so, almost two weeks by the time you hear this. I still need to write my review of it. So, you know, that's my bad. And I'm going to do that this week for sure. But that's all we have for you guys today. As always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.